Hello, welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that has caught our eye this week. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and with me is Deputy News Editor Justin and Hello. Senior Editor, no, Senior Journalist Richard. I'm quite happy to have the promotion, but thank you. <laughs> this week, we're looking at a fresh batch of bubbling hot hatches headed our way. We'll look at some fresh metal in the Cars Guide garage, and we'll catch up with the world's biggest proponent of conceptual telepathy in this week's Muskwatch. So stay with us. But first of all, we've had some feedback from last week, and we were talking about GMSV, the, the, the kind of new entity that replaces HSV and, and goes a bit further in terms of rating the toy cabinet over in the States, and uh, various models will come to Australia over time. Now, David Burt, Bertie, our, our mate, said he was interested by the GMSV possibilities that we explored, but was left feeling uninspired and, and thinking, well, what will they actually sell? You know, it'll probably be small numbers, and why pay for a conversion when a car like the Mustang comes into the country already in right-hand drive X factory? And he says, well, what's stopping GM from releasing partially built vehicles for subsequent Oz right-hand drive conversion? To which I'd say, nothing really. I, I, that, that may well be on the cards. You could, you could certainly see that as a scenario. And the Corvette, by the way, will be factory right-hand drive. So there won't be any conversion locally. But, but he's kind of right, I suppose. Where, where do they go? What, what kind of volumes can they realistically hope to, to sell? You can imagine it'd definitely be easier from a factory perspective, I mean, conceptually yeah. at least, to release, you know, a body and what have you and just send the parts to Australia and then yes. GMSV can add obviously the right-hand drive components and, and just yeah. go from there rather than sending fully built left-hand drive cars to Australia to then be pulled apart Unbuilt. and put back there yeah. with new parts, you know. It just seems exactly. like too many steps in the process, but I guess that's just how conversions or remanufacturing, as GMSV calls it, uh, work. Uh, so, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. You never yeah. know whether there's a greater cost in stopping the assembly process, yeah. compiling all of those argument. parts, packing it together. But for Australia, you know, what, what to be the most economical way to do it? Yeah. All That's right. right. And Peter Panousis, Peter Panousis, our old mate, says hey, GM Peter. has some mega cojones introducing GMSV after dumping Holden so unceremoniously. Uh, and we know that Peter's a former long-time Holden employee, so I think there's... Uh, <laughs> A little bit of bit bitterness coming through there. Yep. He hopes the Australian public votes with its wallet and shows this, quote, greedy organisation that we don't forget or forgive that quickly. Um, and then he says, time to get back to work. My next car isn't going to find itself. And he signs off, <laughs> Peter Pan. And I'd never thought of it, Peter Pan. So uh, yep. Peter's ongoing yep. quest for his next car. He's been wildly swerving this way and that in terms of yeah. what he's going to purchase. So the quest the quest goes on for Peter Pan, obviously. I can see, I can see uh, him in a, in a Suzuki Jimny, actually. Uh, <laughs> yes. yeah. Look, I'm sure he's obviously a car lover. Yeah. I would, I'd, my guess is he wouldn't say no to that um, huh? because the Jimny is such a terrific little thing. Mm. Um, true. Marco Vess is conflicted about GMSV. He wants the Walkinshaw group to do well, but he feels dirty about GM um, and doesn't want to give them any more money. Um, you know, and he also says, given GM's track record with new brands into this country, like Cadillac was going to happen, didn't happen, going to happen, didn't happen. Opal happened, barely happened. Um, and 
he says, look, Walkinshaw should just stick to converting Rams and look for some other business because it's, mm. it's probably not a healthy relationship, which is a, an interesting perspective. Yeah, um, it's definitely safe to say or it's an underestimate to say that, um, you know, Holden has, has burnt some bridges there and um, definitely made its loyal fan base feel a little bit, you know, lost. Yes. Disappointed. There's, there's a lot of, lot of pent-up resentment yeah. um, among people. That, that Maybe you go through the however many stages of grief it is and, and one of them's anger, I think. It feels like we're in the anger phase we are. at the moment. The people, people are really angry about it. Yes. Well, Lofty Visions gave us a rundown of his GM experiences and he's, he's nothing if not loyal because he kept on going with GM product despite all of this. He had a 1999 Holden Suburban, so when Holden briefly sold the Suburban with Holden badges on it, 6.5-litre turbo diesel V8 that used to die at inopportune moments, including the right lane of the freeway oh. uh, once. So that's, that's not nice. He had a VT SS Commodore that slowly fell to bits, a Gen 3 Camaro that did the same, had a Vauxhall Senator and Omega in the UK that weren't much better. <laughs> and he said, look, his take on it, great engines, shocking build quality. Um, he's now a Subaru guy, and he resents the low-rent cars inflicted on us, GM Korea, anyone, um, the sad way they killed off Holden, and he thinks the GM brand is terminal in Australia. He'd certainly never buy another one, with one exception, which is the Subaru Forester, which surprisingly was branded a Chevrolet in India. And he's absolutely right. And for people on YouTube, I, I didn't know that. Uh, we've got a picture of the Chevrolet Forester as sold in India, which is wow. quite incredible. Now, Anthony Pagano um, and our old mate from New Zealand, Wax Triple Three, wanted a laundry list of different GM products from Chevrolet, GMC, Buick, Cadillac, and both of them nominated the Impala, interestingly, but HSV uh, Commodore stepped in and said that that had been uh, finished up earlier this year. So the Impala is now history. That won't be one coming to Australia. De Kook, Richard, De Kook. De Kook, hey. um, he, he, agrees, he agrees with me, bring in the GMC Sierra 3500. Yeah. which is a reasonably sized uh, truck. It's immense. Um, and he says that monstrous utes are his other midlife crisis dream because uh, last week he was telling us about how he wanted a W1 uh, Malou. So that would be a pretty interesting garage, yeah. a Sierra 3500 and a W1 Malou. Um, Hammer Rock says, I doubt fans of the Camaro, and that includes me, will even consider for a nanosecond buying a non-V8 engine version of the Camaro. It's a V8 or go home because Chesto had noted that there is a four-cylinder version of Camaro and it oh, might yeah. be a more affordable kind of option. Uh, look, and John Schroeder agrees. Suburban, the bloke down the road, a funeral director, had one. Jeez, it was big. Want a ride? No, mate, pass. So, <laughs> <laughs> Camaro, four-cylinder, counterfeit, light beer, yeah. no taste, no colour, no bite, yuck. Yeah. Um, Escalade, gangster. He reckons it's the most searched vehicle in America. Um, I don't know where he's getting his data from, but that's an interesting little factoid. The GMC Denali, which was the big Sierra 3500, big metal, big money, will be regulated out of existence. Um, to which I thought, well, not if Trumpy gets another four more years, because he oh. seems to be intent on rolling back uh, environmental rigs as they relate to the auto industry in the US. And then the Hummer. Now, we were talking about the new all-electric Hummer. Yes. And Chesto had noted that it had 15,000 newton metres of torque. Yeah. 
and we're just a tad <laughs> incredulous. That's that's Space a lot of news. Space shuttle also fifteen thousand new meters. <laughs> exactly. So this all stems from a Super Bowl ad, which noted that it was a teaser commercial was going to have eleven thousand foot pounds of torque. Ah. So that converts converts to fifteen thousand five hundred ninety two newton meters, but it's actually wheel torque which is yes. where your engine torque is multiplied by the gear ratio and the final drive ratio, and you get a much bigger number. There's actually a great video, Jason uh, Finsky, Engineering Explained, if you've ever seen him with his whiteboard, and he, he makes uh, complex um, things quite simple on his whiteboard from an engineering point of view. He's done a great video where he looked at yeah. the Dodge Challenger. Um, it's got 972 newton metres of engine torque. Multiplied, though, it's 14,000. So this, this yeah. Hummer is going to have a bit over a thousand newton meters of torque or, or something like that um, as engine torque. That is um, still plenty. <laughs> which, is a, which is just heaps, yeah, uh, of course. 14,000 short of expectation, though. <laughs> that's true. They've set the bar very high. Um, yeah. William Kay says, okay, if Tung can mention a car that no longer exists, this was a particular Cadillac, um, how about bringing in the Cadillac seal? Uh, this must be the best looking car or be a concept car ever designed. And I can't disagree with them. I'd also add the Emirage uh, Coupe that followed it. I think the seal was about 2011 and the Emirage Coupe was 2015. What an amazing um, uh, duo, uh, fantastic pair of cars. He says, forget the GM brands. What about the Toyota 4Runner? Um, any news on this ever making an appearance in Australia? And the 4Runner the is in the US and other markets, but the Fortuna really yeah. covers that segment yeah. where, where the 4Runner would be. Yeah. So I think there's no news really, William, um, on that one. And then in general, HSV Commodore came back in and said, look, a suggestion for a future episode, brands with an uncertain future. And that would be brands that could be gone in a few years, at least in some markets. That's not a bad idea, looking at who's mm -hmm. on the precipice and the whole COVID thing will have pushed some even further to the edge, I suppose. So thank you, HSV. That's something we'll have a think about. Um, Eddie Fuentes says he lo lo looks like Tung has been busy during the lockdown building Legos. I can yes. see a Bugatti Chiron uh, far back and a Dodge Charger from Fast and Furious. How about the rest of the Cars Guide team? What hobbies do you have? It can't just be cars, right? And I checked in with Tung. No, he's got the Chiron. He's got the Charger. He's got the Defender. He's got a 911 GT3 RS. And people on uh, YouTube will be able to see the picture of all of those together. And he actually did a really good overseas story on building the Charger and uh, what the process was like. But, yeah, that's his thing. What about you, Richard? What are your, what are your hobbies? I was going to say, believe it or not, Tung's also married. You, you might not have got the impression <laughs> from his Lego abilities there, but um, he's actually fairly normal. Um, what do I build? I build real cars. I've got a 1951 Ford. That's where I put most of my money. Um, yeah. It's got a uh, 351 beautiful Clevo uh, uh, V8 engine in it. Um, and it looks absolutely stunning at the moment. It's finally ready to drive. So that's, that, that's what I put all my money into. Yep. Great. How about, how about you, Justin? My hobbies at the moment in, in Melbourne in lockdown is probably staring at the wall. Uh, I'm very good at that. Um, but... But normally when I'm not staring at the wall, I suppose if, if sport is a hobby, I probably consume a lot of my time watching sport, uh, NBA basketball and AFL football, the only type of football in the world, uh, yep. is probably what I uh, partake in the most and, and really bad reality TV. 
Yeah. Yes. Uh, is it married at first sight? The maths? Oh, absolutely. That's yeah. maths love, is one of the. You love the married at yeah, first no, sight? I, really? I, I, I watched some absolute filth on the TV. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, um, my, my, collect, my collecting hobby is that I've got a collection of 143rd diecast cars uh, that represents my top 50 driving experiences. So if I've driven something that was amazing, it might have been a great location, I'll go and acquire a 143rd scale version of it and I've got it in a cabinet, uh, all of them, and if something goes in, something goes out. So it's got to be pretty special uh, to bump a car out of that. Like one of them's a tractor, um, there are a couple of racing cars and there's stories. So I can sit there and just look at those and remember immediately the context for that drive. Um, there's an FSM 650 Nikki in there that wouldn't, wouldn't reach 100 kilometres an hour uphill on the main straight at Orr Park. Um, all those stories are just in that cabinet. It's terrific. So that's kind of a hobby of mine, I suppose, along the line of Tungs. But yeah. Um, yeah. Now, J.S. Meta says, Camry Hybrid, and that's the car I'd been driving in, in the garage last week, is an attractive buy. What's the future for sedans in, say, 10 years? Uh, he says, if I had to predict, all we'd see are hatchbacks and SUVs would love to know what you guys think. Is it worth buying a sedan nowadays? And I suppose Camry feels like a fish that's rather large but in a pond that's that's shrinking. Um, it's the number one sedan by a long, long margin, but people are just going away from that body style altogether. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, since, you know, the, the 70s and 80s were the kings of sedans, you know, the, the average family car was a station wagon, was a wagon version of a sedan. And then yeah. in the 1990s, SUVs came along, you know, joined things like, you know, Land Cruiser, but you had things like Vitara. Yeah. Um, and then that made way for like CRV. And then before you knew it, we're into CX-5s and Santa Fe's and gone now are sedans. Yeah. More, than yeah. more than half the market being that's, SUVs. That's right. I think it's important to make a distinction though between mainstream sedans and premium slash luxury runs. Yeah. I mean, that, that top end of the market is going to be around for a long time. Your 3 Series, C-Class, S-Class, mm. 7 Series, so on and so forth. But then when you're looking at the mainstream market, like mm. you said, it's... Camry and not much else, and it's, in ten years' time, it might just be Camry only. Yeah. True, yeah. but I reckon a lot of E-class buyers and S-class buyers from, say, you know, twenty years ago would now be driving GLEs and GLSs, absolutely, and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, but there still will be those traditionalists that'll want a three series and will go and buy a three series more yeah. so than a a Camry end of the market. You know, so I think I think there's a bit of life left in the more expensive ones, but maybe not the cheap ones. Yeah. Oh, just, just wait for the M3 Touring. It's around. Oh, the my God. Oh, what a dream boat. M3 dream wagon. Wow. Want that. Um, anyway, and we finish off with Gulam Dust Gear. He's given us another 16 thumbs up. So the DTUT, the DTUT is standing at 85, which is quite a solid tally. People on YouTube will notice we now have a graphic to describe the DTUT, so we'll, we'll keep that in play in the hopes that Gulam uh, continues to enjoy the show. But we will, we will move on now to hot hatches, and our very own Stephen Otley wrote a story through the week about, you know, if you're thinking about a hot hatch, it might be worth waiting because there's a fair bit of exciting news coming, coming down the pipeline from a whole bunch of different brands, and I wanted to chat with you guys about what stood out. We've, we've got several hyundai i30n the new golf gti which of course is the you know the, the evergreen um hot hatch amongst all of them yaris gr goodness knows what it'll cost but it'll be uh, quite a car what's what's standing out for you guys 
I think for me personally, the GTI, although there is a new one coming, I don't know if it just generates the amount of excitement that it used to. I mean, we've pretty much come to accept, or a lot of people have, that it's the benchmark hot hatch. But I just don't know. In recent years, there have been a few very compelling uh, yeah. rivals come along. The Honda Civic Type R, which is getting a facelift at the end of this year. No, uh, no. I30N <laughs> at the end of this, uh, sorry, start of next year, is uh, getting a facelift yeah. and getting a dual clutch transmission. Yeah. Um, for mine, those two were definitely uh, better than a GTI. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. I30N all the way. You've got the oh. reliability of, of, of Hyundai hardware and mechanicals and engineering, and you've got something which feels just so sharp. And I love the manual in that I30N, but I think the dual clutch is just going to make it more accessible to you know yep. more people. Really, I mean, I know that the Golf GTI historically started it well. You know, Peugeot 205 and you know Renaults as well, hot hatches back. You know, B roads through Europe and in the UK. Um, but I really think the GTI is is it's a little bit grown up and mature and conservative. Yeah. I, lo I love that the i30N still feels a bit like, oh my god, this thing wants to yes. kill me. Um, yes. Naughty. Yeah, naughty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Well, uh, that's what I'm, I'm looking forward to. Last year, I had the opportunity to have a, a fang in the i30N in the Targa Tour, which is oh, the cool. like the the touring part of the Targa Tasmania. And I think, as I said at the time, it was it was really my first opportunity to exceed the speed limit on a public road um, in, in any car. It was a very uh, you know, rare kind of opportunity. Uh, and it was brilliant. It was really brilliant. So light and responsive. It's such a great car. So with, with a dual clutch, it'll be really interesting to drive that car and, and see what it does to its character. But, uh, Justin, to your point in terms of the Type R, You've really got to have the personality to match that car, haven't you? It's it's like something out of a Hollywood film as opposed to a car. That's a nice yeah. way of saying you've got to be uh, a uh, car. I think. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm a bit of a wanker, uh, Richard, so that works quite well. Now, for, for me, for mine, I much like Richard would take the i30N every day of the week, but the Civic Type R in terms of driving experience, yes, obviously the looks are not for everyone. It is uh, quite a bit of boy racer about that, but um to drive it's it's fantastic and uh, in terms of the update or facelift that's coming later this year there's some uh pretty pretty significant changes to suspension braking steering etc so you know they're really yeah. trying to sharpen what is already a very sharp weapon um so you know it's 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 great to drive can everyone live with it in their garage waking up every morning and looking at it for me i quite like it but i know i'm in the minority yeah. um probably the the i30n is still a bit edgy but not as not anywhere near as edgy well, as, i uh, think if you had a big if you had a big saturday night and you meandered out into the garage on a sunday morning and looked at that civic it could just tip you over the edge it's pretty well, it's particularly pretty if you get the new yellow color it's uh, probably vomit inducing <laughs> for some people <laughs> you said it that like i did children it's like a children's <laughs> toy if you stood on it in the it middle is. of the night you'd you go to the emergency room, like it's really <laughs> sharp and pointy. But there's a full size the, Lego version of it that you can step on, and that would very much hurt. Enter yes. Tung. He can he can yes. fix us up with that. But um, I think yeah, the adaptive damp the adaptive dampers are going to get a, a a new response tune. And yep. you're right, the steering. And look, we're theorising that it's going to be at about fifty five thousand dollars, which yep. is a lot for a small hatch, but one with that kind of uh, performance potential. It puts a different light on it. Yeah, absolutely. Price is up. Uh, I think it's three grand now. So yeah, fifty-five or fifty-four nine ninety. 
Um, and yeah, they're it's going to pick, expensive going to, to the pick, 60 grand on the road. Are they going to fix that torque steer, Justin? Uh, well, that, as you know, Richard, adds character to the car. I mean, Ooh. it's not trying to get away from you. What's, what's <laughs> no. the point? Um, but it's part of the auto lane change feature. Richard. <laughs> <laughs> You're always yeah. changing lanes. Sorry, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I, I mean, Ford kicked it off with the Focus ST, and yeah. um, without in the absence of an RS, it's still putting out a lot of power and torque. What? Where are we? Um, Two hundred and six kilowatts. Yeah, and four hundred and twenty newton meters. That's a lot for a little hatch. Yeah, I tested that about oh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Um, look, it's a, it's a, it's a. Oh, look, I love Focuses. They're they're overpriced, um, but they're a great looking car. The interiors are a little bit outdated looking a little bit old um yeah look i i wanted more out of that car and basically what i wanted was an rs and you can't get that anymore and that poor st is trying to satisfy rs buyers and also be something you can use every day it's really comfortable and it's really well put together and and the the suspension setup's great um but i think for people really looking for something that's going to you know tear their faces off they're not going to find it there well they've got plenty of options yeah just not cars (laughs) <laughs> um, the, 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 I, the thing about the Focus is I reckon it looks terrific. I think that um, yeah. refresh of the Focus ST, yeah. it's really got some presence. It does. The only problem is, is that you can get the exact same look with the ST line. So right. Um, right. really there aren't a lot of differences apart from, you know, the tailpipes and the rear diffuser. Um, really you can get, you know, you can, you can get the same look for a whole lot less. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's one of the issues I reckon. And I mean, when Chesto uh, drove it initially, the Yaris GR, he was raving about that car. Yeah. It's it's not going to be cheap for such a tiny little hatch, but he really reckons it's a game changer in terms of the way it performs dynamically. I think it will be a game changer. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it is a rally car for the road. Um, they literally constructed a three-door Yaris, which doesn't exist in the lineup otherwise. Yep. You know, yep. Anybody... Um, that 1.6 litre three-cylinder engine with 200 kilowatts out of a out of a three banger is uh, pretty impressive. Um, manual, all-wheel drive, like that is yeah. it's a bundle far in a way. Um, it, ticks, yeah. it, it ticks all the boxes of a hot hatch, doesn't it? It's, a, it it's does. beyond a hot hatch. It's a searing yeah. hot. But, but I mean, you were talking. We were talking earlier about how. The GTI Golf has maybe got bigger and heavier and may have lost some of its intimacy in terms of the drive experience. You'd have to imagine that car is going to go right back to square one in terms of being small, light, really powerful and um, hitting you right in the feels, you know, when, you, when you're driving that car by comparison. stands on its own. I mean, based on a three-door light car, there, there are obviously three-door like uh, hatches, you know, Fiesta ST, etc. But they don't come close to it on power outputs or drive. You know, it's it's going to be a hell of a thing. Yeah. One of the thing, one of the things I like the Volkswagen lineup is that the GTI, yes, it does appear to be getting a bit more mature and it, it feels soft com- in compared to like an i30N. But you've always got the Golf R, so you've got all-wheel drive, and it's just you know, if you do find the GTI a little bit too placid, you can step up again, and that Golf R is brilliant. Really it is. I uh, once upon a time was considering a GTI and ended up buying an R. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, I suppose what what the R gains in additional performance and the all-wheel drive, uh, you, it loses in terms of that lightness of touch. That the, yes. the GTI is a slightly lighter car yeah. and yep. a little more nimble. 
the R is more is a more solid kind of sledgehammery kind of experience. Yeah, yeah. straight line weapon in comparison to the GTI. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But and then we've got the the we've been talking a lot about the i30N, but the potential for i20N, you know, which is the the smaller package, which is an interesting one because i20 has been out of the Australian market for so long, but to come back in the form of an N would be really interesting. Yeah, looks like Australia is not going to get the regular i20 like we don't get the regular Fiesta, um, but yep. we are going to get the i20N, which is which is interesting because there's a, still a bit of mystery about the i20N in terms of what's going to be under the bonnet in terms of is it going to go after a Ford uh, Fiesta ST or is it going to go after a Yaris GR? Um, so it'll be interesting to see what direction they take it. But, you know, more hot hatches the merrier, I say. Well, that's well, it. Talking yeah, to the, sorry, go, talking, Richard. Talking to the product guys at Hyundai, um, uh, what were we launching? Uh, the Loster, actually, um, last year. Uh, they mentioned that there's, yeah, absolutely, there's no way they're going to bring a regular i20 in. It's just not going to sell. Um, but an i20N um, would absolutely, I think, sell like hotcakes. Um, and I reckon it would be more a Fiesta ST than a Yaris. I think there's yeah. nothing going to be like the, the Yaris. So that's yeah. off the scale. But yeah, so Fiesta well, ST. Could be the Steve most affordable Otley, hot hatch as well. Mm-hmm. The I20N. Steve Otley was theorising that it would be a 1.6 litre turbo four, so um, 150 odd kilowatts, mm. 265 newton meters. So um, in a small package like that, uh, yeah. and it's the same same powertrain as the Veloster uh, turbo. So that that would translate pretty well, you'd have to think, into a little hatch like that. Absolutely, probably only weighs about 1,100 kilos. It'd be yeah. a rocket. Mm. Yeah, and then there is the GTI for the people that, that want the, the tradition and the heritage and all that goes with it, and the cachet, I've got to say, um, of yeah. being in a, a, a Golf GTI. Um, Two-litre turbo, 180 kilowatts, 370 newton metres, so it's, it's kind of up there. Uh, it'll be interesting to drive the 2021 uh, model. That's, that's all I could say, uh, just to see where it sits in that weight versus performance, how it behaves mm. dynamically, how it feels. My concern is with uh, Mark 7 versus Mark 8 that's coming, there hasn't necessarily been a lot that's changed. It's still on the MQB platform. Um, for Australia, it's still the same engine, still the same transmission, getting a limited slip diff, which is great. But, mm-hmm. you know, they haven't – it feels like, without having driven it, of course, that they haven't moved the game forward, whereas, you know, I tw- oh, sorry, i30Ns come in and smacked the Mark 7 GTI in the face. Um, and, you know, Volkswagen has the opportunity to respond. Has it? We'll find out. But yep. on paper, it doesn't seem like they've probably done enough. That, that's a technique that you use often, isn't it, <laughs> Justin? Just walking in and smacking somebody in the face. It, it, certainly, yeah. it certainly gets their attention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's one way to get their attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I think it would be terrific to hear um, people watching or listening what their thoughts are on the whole hot hatch thing. Um, it's been around for a long time now, and these new ones look to invigorate that that little segment. And what what uh, tickles your fancy out of the ones that are coming? Would you wait, or or would you be in the market now? Be great to hear. But we'll we'll move on to our garage and what has been in it. And Justin, I'd like to start with you. Uh, notwithstanding limitations, because uh, Melbourne and other parts of Victoria are in pretty tight uh, COVID lockdown. But yes. you've been in a Volkswagen Passat. Fill us in. Yes, on. that's right. Yeah, I've been in the 140 TSI business, uh, which is a new variant in the facelifted Passat range. Um, as you mentioned, James, obviously I've only been able to drive it to the shops <laughs> and back for the last 
five weeks and probably an, another few more at least. But um, yeah, it, it is very much your, uh, as its name suggests, a business sedan uh, or an executive car. Um, so, you know, it, it isn't the most exciting vehicle in the world, but it is certainly comfortable and easy to drive, which I guess is the whole point of, uh, of a fleet car, I guess. Um, but at the same time, you still get nice little luxuries as well, like heated seats and, and what have you. And um, like I said, it is, it is a nice drive and certainly not one you'd complain about. If the boss handed you the keys and said, this is yours, um, you'd be more than happy. But one thing I really appreciated, and I think it's the first car I've driven that actually has it, is a wireless Apple CarPlay. Okay. To be able to get into your car with your phone in your pocket, not even think about it, mm. and have CarPlay pop up on the screen, have access to Google Maps, your music, all that kind of stuff. Like It is such a seamless integration and execution, and for that reason, I'm really enjoying it. I, I, I drove the business a uh, couple of months ago and there's no more aptly named grade for any type of car than yeah. the Passat business. And is it yeah. the wagon as well? No, I've got the sedan. Ah, right. Even more business, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I know you, you've got French brands like Renault and Peugeot who name their grades Allure and Intense and things like this. And it's right. so German that it's just got the business. Yeah. <laughs> it's the business. It, it is what it is. It is on the tin. Yeah. Well, there, there should be another one called drudgery or something, you know, if you've got, <laughs> and really get serious about it. To make it better, my uh, my one's white, which again, white. Color, so. <laughs> Justin, that that point you raised about the connectivity and wireless Apple CarPlay, yeah. it, um, it's 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 so good. And one of the things that we experience jumping in and out of a different car each week is the first thing we do is we connect our phones, and mm -hmm. we get this. We not all phone connectivity in cars is the same and we know the brands who are good at it and there are some brands which are terrible i've had you know calls disconnect all sorts of things happen because it's you know it's the system that the the brand has used but um i think volkswagen are pretty good um hyundai are pretty good toyota <coughs> not that good um yeah so. i think to that point richard the thing that gets me is you tend to say all right connecting the phone whatever it is you do that's a one or two off. You, once you own the car, you do that and it's connected. Yes, but the yeah. thing that is extra instructive is how it can misbehave over time. Yes. So you think it's set and forget and it's all hooked up, but actually it's not. There are yeah. certain brands that come to mind where you get in the car and where's the Apple CarPlay? It's gone away yeah, magically somehow. And you've yeah. got to reattach the phone and it becomes a real pain in the neck. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, anyway. I've been experiencing that in the car that I'm in at the moment, um, which all is right. the... Toyota Fortuna. Okay. Nice segue. Nice segue. <laughs> well, yes, Richard, Richard, tell us about the car that you've been driving this week. Well, I've been driving a Toyota Fortuna. Um, Fortuna? The, Amazing. I know, yeah, that's right. It's, um, it's the updated Fortuna. There was a launch last week. It was the Hilux, updated uh, Hilux and updated Fortuna. Uh, Matt Campbell uh, covered the Hilux component of it. I'm doing the Fortuna stuff. Um, we're doing a We've, we're out filming yesterday, actually. We're going to do a really good job of this. I covered what it's like to live with a Fortuna in the city and in the suburbs. Yep. And we've got Marcus Kraft, who's going to be covering what it's like to drive off-road in the rough stuff. Perfect. Um, so, look, I mean, and look, getting back to that connectivity, it's got wireless Apple CarPlay, but I just can't get it to work properly. Whereas, you know, with, with the Volkswagen, it's, it's, it obviously works straight away, and I've used it yeah. before, and it does. And at one point, um, someone calls and it knocks something else out. And so I'm just finding this. And I think Toyota use uh, like a second, a third party to provide their 
their tech equipment in terms of screens and, and, and phone connectivity. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I'm just finding that there's a whole lot of issues. And I, it's not okay. the only car. I found that in the Grand Vera and I found that in the Super and, and other ones as well. So it seems to be a whatever screens and whatever displays try to use. But apart from that, the car's been magnificent. Um, it's got, you know, it's, it's got seven seats, but it's not like the Kia Sorento or a Toyota Kluger because it's based on the Hilux Ute. So like that ute, it's, got, it's, it's, it's highly capable off the road, um, which is why we're getting Marcus to do the off-road stuff. Um, mm. And that means that around town, uh, you know, in the city and the suburbs, the ride is, is overly firm. Even though it's got coil springs all around, it's still really firm. I've got used to it over a week. When the family first got into it, we were all like, oh, God, this mm. is really uncomfortable. But after a week... No one said anything. You just you kind of get a Stockholm syndrome with cars, where eventually you just love it, no matter how you know rough or firm it is. So we've got used to it. I'm sure if you bought it, you'd be used to it as well. And you'd be certainly if you're taking it off road, like regularly, um, you're going to be able to forgive it for being a bit firm on the road. Um, it's practical. It's got rubber mats that you can just take out and hose out yep. and drive and really? back again. It's got hand grips and handholds everywhere. Um, it's a really practical bucket on wheels, you know, and it's, and it's been great. The only thing I don't like about it, um, really, are the fold-up seats at the back. Rather than folding flat, the third roll actually hoists up and then latches on just like uh, right. So right. that blocks out those rear windows. It's a yep. bit difficult. Mm. So when you're reversing, you, you've got no visibility if those seats are in place, like strapped up. And also, I just don't like how they eat into your, your luggage space as well. Um, mm. So... The fold flat seats, of course, they, they raise your boot floor, but you've got a nice clean area. You've got these hanging there as well. And at one point, my little five-and-a-half-year-old was mucking around with the tag, and the whole thing went like that. <gasps> and it was all right because it's spring-loaded, so it doesn't slam down. But like, wow. it freaked the hell out of me that they do just sort of can fall like that. Um, yeah. So that's just another little, thi another little thing as well. Um, but, yeah, so... Keep an eye out for the review. It'll be going up in the next week or so. So, yeah, the Fortuna. Fantastic. GXL. Okay, that's, that's yep. really interesting. Thank you, Richard. I will uh, chip in with, for the first time in a long while, I've been driving a Citroen. I haven't been in a Citroen for some time, and this is the C5 Aircross in an arresting shade of orange, I must say. You're never going to miss it. Um, so it's the Shine. There are two variants. This is the premium one, the Shine. So it's forty-six, nearly $47,000 before you put it on the road. And in fact, right now, uh, there's a driveway deal, 51389 So that, it, you've, you've crested the $50,000 um, threshold for, for this car. 1.6-litre turbo four, six-speed auto, front-wheel drive. They're claiming about 7.9 litres per 100, which isn't exactly spectacular um, because it, it is a reasonably large car. Um, the plus column, I said, it stands out. The design is classically Citroen, mm. and you're going to either love it or be, be turned off by it, I'd imagine. It's, it's quite polarising. Uh, it sits on big 19-inch rims, this shine, so it looks uh, – that just improves the looks, in my, in my opinion. It steers nice. Practical. There's a lot of load space. It's got a huge rear seat. You can easily sit three adults. Um, across the back seat. I reckon that's a big advantage. The boot's big. Uh, and the second row slides so that yep. you can adjust leg room and uh, load space according to what you need. It's also loaded from a safety point of view. It's got um, all the latest safety tech that you would expect. But on the negative column, 
it's just a bit sluggish. You know, you, mm. you're talking around 10 seconds, naught to 100. So it's not, you know, snail slow, but it's certainly not brisk. You have to really encourage it to get along, which can get a bit, a bit tedious. And things like halogen headlights, even in the yeah. top model, that, that feels really off the pace. But overall, I think it's got a big personality and you've got to sign on for that kind of automotive statement if you want to buy a Citroen. You're someone who wants to make a, a left of centre uh, statement about what you're going to drive. It's, it's really chock full of personality. But driving it, I enjoyed it. I love the seats in it. They're so yeah, comfortable. Yeah, yeah they are. Great. I want those there's, seats in my home. They want that to be my There's something about French cars and seats. Yes. I, I remember, yeah. you know, so much of modern cars componentry is outsourced to out suppliers yeah. but Peugeot for example for the longest time I'm not 100% sure whether they still do made their own seats in house yeah. that that was just a, a core strength of the brand they made their own shock absorbers they made their own seats things that led to a comfortable kind of drive uh, but you're right the seats are terrific as well I went to the launch of that car and there was about we watched a presentation it was a best on Bastille day and they had the slide projector up, and um, we watched the presentation, and there was about 15 minutes just on how they did the seats. Right. And they had, like, like you could see the compression rate. So I'm doing a German accent, but there was, there was a lot of work went into getting it all, and there was hands doing this and bums and doing a, this it, and all sorts of It was of stuff. a slide presentation, Richard. Was that in the carousel, or were they putting them in individually and sliding them across? <laughs> yes, it was like a home movie. They just put, oh, that one's in upside down. Oh, put that the oh right yeah, sorry. There it is. Yes, sorry, that's it's back to front. Yes, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> oh, that one should be there. That's well, from the holiday. It's like, but, yeah. I mean, when you think about driving a car, the touch points quite literally are yeah. uh, the seat and the steering wheel. So you <laughs> want both of them to, to feel terrific. And I think driving that car this week, both of those things were great. The seating position was really good. Um, you just got to be ready to, psychologically to buy a Citroen. That's all. I th- what I about the ride, James? Do you enjoy the ride? Right. I thought idea. it was pretty good. Because yeah, I, I put I, a lot of work into that suspension. Yeah, I, I didn't have any complaints about the suspension and the drive. I found the steering pretty responsive. Uh, okay. It's just that the engine could have done with a little more oomph, you know, yeah. to make it easier to drive. I often think to myself, like, I'd like to build the perfect car, like take Citroen seats, take that engine out, put right. the engine from, I don't know, the 5-litre Mustang into the C5. I'd like to yeah. hear what other people, what their ultimate Frankenstein. Like, car, Frankenstein car would be. Well, what engine, what seats, what wheels, what cabin. That's what the Winton Motor Company was doing for many years, was just acquiring components from different brands and uh, compiling them into their one-offs, Yeah, a special atelier kind of uh, service for customers. The fastest three-door sedan in Australia in 1983 was the Winton Turbo. Winton Turbo. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. All right, now we are going to move on. Thank you, guys, uh, for all that. We're going to move on to our favourite segment. It's Musk Watch. Right. Now, we alluded to the fact last week that Elon was going to have a demo of Neuralink um, on Friday, uh, US time. So it was just a little bit after we, we did the podcast last week. And sure enough, that happened. And Neuralink says that they're designing the first neural implant that will let you control a computer or mobile device anywhere you go. So these Micro micron scale threads are inserted into areas of the brain. I don't know how they're selected, but you've got a little interface in your noggin 
where they can plug in and, and hook you up. So um, they also showed on Friday a surgical robot that's going to implant it. So you sit in this kind of oversized dentist chair, thing comes down around your head and bumper puts this plug into your head, which seems a little bit extreme. But there was the Three Little Pigs demo, yeah. was the actual demonstration of this technology at work. And the star was Gertie, Gertrude the pig, has had this implant and the, the um, display showed real-time beeps from her brain and she'd had the implant there for two months. Seemed like a very happy pig, was snuffling around, you know, in some straw and doing what she did. Drinking and stuff. you could, could see what uh, was happening in her brain. Now, PETA, the animal protection organisation, weren't thrilled uh, with the fact that pigs had been used for this experimentation. They made the point that animals aren't ours to use and suggested that Elon should use his own brain which would be an interesting take on it. If he turned up to the demo and just flipped open his plug and kind of um, connected, would that be would have been amazing. something pretty special. Yeah. Um, but the meme world went off pretty well. And there was one where the pig thing happened. If you've got a you know, Euro US two pin plug, just happens to line up with a pig's nose and you can hook, <laughs> you can plug the plug in at the front there. Which seems kind of practical. Um, but also, th there was one that Mr. Pritchard, our producer, dug out, which was uh, a meme of when your Neuralink chip gets hacked, and there's a woman standing there with her hands on her head, and she's been rickrolled right into her brain. So there's nothing she can do about it, which seems <laughs> uh, pretty confronting. Oh, and on Twitter, so many people want to be part of a human trial. You wouldn't believe the number of people who are seriously out there saying, Pick me, I want to do this, I want to be part of the human trial. But uh, engineer Azam Miralam said, is it going to make me remember what I was going to say five seconds ago? Wait, <laughs> well, what was I saying? <laughs> so, <laughs> that's pretty good. And uh, Scott Geloff says, how is this different than just an external EEG? So really what they're just getting is signals out of the brain. There was no sense of the pig controlling anything or making the pig do things. It wasn't exactly a two-way street. So that seemed like a fair enough point. But early days, amazing. And it will potentially be able to help people who are physically impaired and, and do things that they never thought they could. So let's see where that goes. I don't know, JC. I don't know, Jesse. I think it's all going to come together. The space side of the business, the autonomous electric cars, and the neural implants. I don't the know. The implant robot I don't know. is I think, fairly I think, scary. I think it's a trap. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, like a triangle. To, yeah. to that end, Elon tweeted just two words, conceptual telepathy yep. on Twitter. That's what I'm so talking about. One of your uh, extended family members, Richard, Black mm. Deathberry, yes. said, you're going to need to take me to dinner first. Uh, which I think was an emphasis on the conceiving bit um, of conceptual, <laughs> conceptual telepathy. Um, and Gavin Huffine said, lol, I mentioned this to you like three days ago on your board account. Now, board Elon Musk is a piss take on Elon Musk. It's not, he doesn't have this account called board <laughs> Elon Musk. He's, so this guy, Gavin, oh, I, look, I told you that three days ago on your board account. Oh, no. uh, but anyway... Free and Anya said, telepathy me a pile of $500 bills. <laughs> <So> <laughs> that's a fair request. He's got a lot. But speaking of money, uh, there was a story starting to bubble around uh, last week, but it's been confirmed and Forbes reports that um, Elon has confirmed 
serious Russian Bitcoin, Bitcoin ransomware attack on Tesla was foiled by the FBI. So what it boiled down to was that a, a Tesla employee was targeted by a ransomware hacker offering a million dollars in Bitcoin for this person at the uh, factory in Nevada to uh, just install some ransomware software on the Tesla computer network. And rather than take the money and do that, the person spoke to colleagues uh, and the FBI was contacted. And this person, Igor Igorovich Kruchkov, a 27-year-old Russian man, was arrested and faces up to five years in prison um, if found guilty. So that was all foiled. And on Twitter, there were lots of calls for giving this employee yeah. a million or two or at least a yeah. Tesla uh, yeah. because they'd done the right thing. A day but off. Exactly. <laughs> Something, right? One, yeah, one person suggested a Starbucks gift card might be uh, appropriate. But Dave, bracket, currently fishing, in bracket, says, <laughs> WTF, Elon, they just wanted to install Bonzi Buddy. Now, bon Bonzi Buddy, I had never heard of it, but it was apparently a virtual assistant that piggybacked on the Microsoft system, and it was suspected to be spy spyware. This was the late 90s. A bit like your paperclip assistant that comes up, can I help you? Um, it was a little purple gorilla, Bonzi buddy, um, and it was capturing data in the background and uh, was a nasty little episode. So Dave, currently fishing, thought they wanted to install that. Nichi Barn wondered, wonder what they, are, they were after in particular? And Hoss said the fart button. So they wanted, <laughs> yeah. the, uh, they wanted the tech for the fart button from yeah. Tesla. But the, we'll cut to the share price, and the five-for-one stock split has happened. So a Tesla share is now $447.37, um, which is back to way back when. And if you remember Elon's tweet about taking it private, $420 seemed like an extreme uh, position to take. Here we are. It's five times that. So if you multiply it by five, it's actually 2236 and a few cents. So it hasn't moved a lot from last week. But The Guardian is saying, look, even diehard die fans must be wondering if Tesla's stock is moving too fast. But apparently not, because it just continues to head skywards. And according to CNN and Bloomberg, a surge earlier in this week pushed Elon past Mark, uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, to be the third richest person in the world. So his wealth is estimated at $115 billion. So we, we were saying earlier off, off air that it's Jeff Bezos um, and um, what's his name? Bill Gates, who are in one and two. And Bezos, it's Bezos first, daylight second. Um, but there, there you go. Elon's the third richest person on the planet. So he could so afford to give that guy a million dollars. Oh, for you. Oh, and that's what people were saying. Give him oh, the million bucks. He turned it down to do the right thing. He yeah. did. But uh, with that, we have reached the finish line. So I want to say thank you, Richard. Thank you. And thank you, Justin. Thank you. And thanks to our podcast prophet, Night Stalker and part-time airport scarecrow, Mr. Pritchard, for his proficiency under pressure. Today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, blink if you want me, metallic pants and Scooby-Doo slippers. That is a really <laughs> special look. Um, combo. Please pass on the word about the podcast and let us know your thoughts by searching for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram using the hashtag CG Podcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, 
please rate and review us. And remember, you can watch us on YouTube. Uh, but before we go, I was thinking during the week, I'm keen on a side hustle, um, cleaning car review mirrors. Uh, put it this way, it's a job I can see myself doing. <laughs> oh, no. Wow. <laughs> Actually, good rear view mirrors on the Fortuna. Really good. Oh, yeah? Really, yeah, really, really good. Well, I clean it once. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, do, I generally charge about 350 a mirror. Yeah. What about, what about Mazda <laughs> it's mirrors? It's not a bad price. You guys like <laughs> Mazda mirrors? I'm competitive. <laughs>